Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is uh, none other than Legends Tour player and LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. What's up? Uh, it's a beautiful, sunny day down here in the south, and I'm very, very excited for a couple of reasons. One, the sun is shining, uh, but also we've got a couple of great guests, and uh, I'm going to introduce them, and then we're going to get right down to uh, this morning's show. Um, welcoming back uh, on air with me is none other than the legendary Black Knight himself, uh, nine-time major championship uh, winner on the regular tour, including three Masters, a U.S. Open, three Open Championships, and two PGA Championships. Of course, I'm talking about Mr. Gary Player. Uh, in addition to that, he won 167 professional tournaments worldwide and is one of only five men to capture golf's coveted Grand Slam. In addition to winning the regular nine major championships on the PJ Tour, he also won nine major championships on the Champions uh, Tour and is the only player in history to complete the Grand Slam on both tours. He currently serves as the Global Ambassador to the World Golf Hall of Fame and has been dubbed the Black Knight, Mr. Fitness, and the world's most traveled athlete, having traveled more than 26 million kilometers. And back in 2016, he captained the South African Olympic golf team in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Also joining us this morning is Steve Colton. He is the co-founder and VP of sales for Encore Golf, and he uh, graduated with a degree in economics from NYU, uh, where he was a four-year member of the varsity golf team. Uh, His first job out of college in 2007 was assisting traders at Deutsche Bank and then went on to co-found Encore Golf. Uh, He grew up in Smithtown, Long Island, and for the past eight years has called Buffalo, New York home. Uh, Mr. Player and Mr. Colton, good morning and welcome to the Women of Golf. Thank you very much, Ted. Thank you. Good Perfect. morning. Thank. Good morning. Can, um, can I ask Steve a question? You sure can. Uh, Steve, I I didn't realize you were with Deutsche Bank because I've represented the Berenberg Bank in Germany for many many years, and they've been an incredible sponsor. They've sponsored an old. Uh, they we had in. London, we were walking in the street one night, and we saw all these people lying in the streets. And you know what people say when they see people lying in the streets? They call them bums, and they're so critical, and they're so wrong. Anyway, we got them to build <clears throat> a new home called the DePaul Home, and these people were given the advantage of being able to use all computers and the modern-day amenities and a lot of them now have turned out to be doctors and lawyers as such and it's been one of the great joys of my life to see these people and I visit them every year in London. Are you familiar with the Berenberg Bank? Um, you know I've, I've heard of it but I don't I don't know much about it other than 
um, that, you know, that fine story you told there, that's, that's pretty amazing. And um, I spent a few years um, after graduating from NYU with Deutsche Bank um, in, in New York City um, and Jersey City there. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal story there. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was unbelievable. It was really so, and it's a great lesson in life, never to be critical of people. It's like when I played in my first British Open, uh, 1955, I hit off on the first tee. And wouldn't you believe it, at St. Andrews, and I was so nervous, and I teed up in the first fairway so wide that Ray Charles couldn't miss it. And I got up on the first tee, <laughs> and I hooked the ball. He says, play away, Luddy, this big old Dewar Scott, the starter. And I hit this hook. My goodness me, it was going to go out of bounds and hit the little white railing fence and came back on the fairway. I was so relieved. I went to pick up my tee. Because in those days, you had to buy a tee at a cent each. So you didn't only pick up yours. If your opponent left it, you picked up his as well. So <laughs> he says to me, Larry, where are you from? I said, I'm from South Africa, sir. And he says, and what is your handicap? I said, no, I'm a pro. He says, you're a pro. I said, yes. He says, you must be a hell of a chipper and putter. <laughs> but now, you see, the, the critical thing is I come back three years later and I'm the youngest guy to ever win the British Open and he sees me, he, he hits his head and he, he says, it's a mirage. He says, it's a miracle. He says, it's a miracle. There's no way you could win the British Open. <laughs> So I said, come oh, on, I'll buy, you, I'll buy you a wee drum, which is, means a whiskey. So we went and had a whiskey, and I said, you see, you've got to be very careful about criticizing people in this world. And, you know, that is so true. <laughs> and it's, a, it's actually a human trait to criticize people. Mm. So, you know, and I love what it says. I think it says in the Bible about be careful. You know, you've got a, you, somebody you're criticizing has a, Little thorn in his eye, but you have a log in yours. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. That's a great story, Gary. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Steve, let's let's talk about – well, actually, um, yeah, let's talk, let's talk, Gary, a little bit – or, sorry, Steve, my mind's uh, – you're right, Gary, my mind is, is not working this morning. Um, tell us – Tell us a little bit. <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll give you a mulligan. <laughs> Thank you. As they say in the South, bless your heart. Thank you very much. Um, Steve, sorry. Uh, <laughs> bless your mind. Talk a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've never had such a crazy nut on your show. <laughs> no. I, well, I, oh, you know, we funny you say that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The one sitting back over here is pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and shut up. You guys go for it. Um, okay, Steve, sorry. Um, no, that's okay. That's okay. We all need a good laugh, uh, especially during these times. Steve, go ahead and talk a little bit about Encore and, and obviously your your involvement, you you are one of the co-founders in that. Tell us, give us a little bit of the backstory, and then Gary, I want to get your perspective because I know that you've uh, sure, uh, you sure. all and, and start off talk a little bit about Encore, um, where things, how it got started. 
Sure. Well, we, we got started uh, with some really interesting technology that um, our chief engineer, Doug Dufault, brought to us. It was um, the hollow metal core um, golf ball. And he, along with three other engineer buddies, had invented um, this concept of perimeter weighting. And you had seen perimeter weighting in, in drivers um, with, with the big Bertha and uh, putters with ping. Um, and then you started, you started to see it in the irons. Um, and, and basically, um, no one had really done it in the golf ball. Um, so the concept behind the hollow core was, got, was what got me intrigued um, with, um, you know, I had played golf at NYU. Um, not very successfully, particularly when, when I hear Gary's uh, Mr. Player's resume there. Um, but um, nonetheless, I've, I've been around the game my whole life and, and worked pretty much every job at a golf course. Um, so I, w I was really intrigued um, by, by the technology, and my business partner and co-founder, Brett Blakely, um, had an international marketing background. Doug was the engineer, but he wasn't really interested in building the sales and marketing and branding around um, his technology. Um, so that was how we got started, and, and over the years we've evolved that um, that hollow core, and, and now we um, we perimeter weight the golf ball with um, metal particles. So the feel, as Gary uh, Gary can attest to, is just um, phenomenal, and and the performance as well with with that perimeter weighting um, allows for a little more forgiveness and accuracy off the tee. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of how we got started. So Gary, let me ask you, let me roll this over to you now then as, as Steve pointed out, and, and I know you've mentioned this, you've used the ball, um, so you're well aware of, of how it feels and how it performs. Give us a, your perspective as a player uh, on uh, Encore Golf uh, ball. Well, let me tell you, <clears throat> first of all, <clears throat> you know, today, none of the balls are allowed to go further than the others. There is a limit and uh, there's actually, to make it very simple for the average man in the, in the street, there is a rule that the ball can only go so far. It's like a driver can only be a certain size. There are a lot of regulations. Mm -hmm. But the ball, you know, for me, the feel of a golf ball is so important. Some balls feel very hard off the club face. Some balls feel too soft. Some balls lose their color very quickly. But the Encore ball had such a wonderful feel to me on all clubs. And, you know, as a professional golfer, for me, the feel is important on all the clubs, just not on one. It has to feel good on the putter. What is, what is golf? What wins golf tournaments? You know, I'm so tired of hearing and listening. The first thing that comes out of any commentator or anybody's mouth is how far this guy hits the ball. Let me yeah. tell you something. In 1986, when Jack Nicklaus won the Masters, Ballesteros hit a 330-yard drive plus-minus on the 15th hole and had a one-shot lead over Nicklaus. Nicklaus had a 22-foot putt on 17, the 71st hole. Ballesteros looks like he might eagle it or birdie it at the worst, knocks it in the water. Nicklaus holds the putt. Nicklaus goes on to win. What wins golf tournaments? What, and I'm getting slightly off the point. But what wins golf tournaments is the mind and putting. And so for me, when I putt, when I putt of the encore ball, 
which is the most important part of the game, I got such a sweet feel. Where do you get confidence? You get confidence from a feel of a ball. Also, it lasted. I mean, you know, when we were young, we used to play with the ball that was so inferior. We used to put a ball in a ring when we first started. Every round we had a little ring attached to our side of our belt, and we got a dozen balls from whatever company we represented, and we put the balls, I'll never forget, we put the balls. At that time, I was representing a certain company, and there were always two balls that didn't go through the ring. They were not round. And I played at Augusta one year at the 15th hole, and I was in contention, and I lost the tournament, finished second, and I hit the ball at 15, and it got over in the air, in the water, uh, over the water, and it just dropped out of the sky, which those, a lot of balls in those times did. How Ben Hogan played that well, or Bobby Jones, is remarkable with the balls that they used. So anyway, so for me, I'd had so much experience using different kinds of balls in my life. And this ball was so, con- it's so consistent, and it had such a lovely color. And hitting a lot of balls as I did, and what I was referring to in the old days, you often used five balls in a round. You weren't given that many balls, but you even went along and bought some extra balls because we used so many. You hit a wedge, it scarred the ball up so badly, you couldn't believe it. And if you want to hit a ball that's got a big scar on it, you want to see how it travels in the air. It doesn't travel like a normal ball. Now, these balls... They were so firm, you could hit as many wedges as you like. You never scarred them up because of the new materials and the the method. And uh, so the whiteness of the ball is important, the feel of the ball, the durability of the ball. And I must compliment uh, Steve. They they did a wonderful job. It's, It's also, and this is the big factor, golf is becoming so expensive now, as we all know. And this is what stops a lot of young people playing golf. We've got to provide facilities. We've got to come up, and we have good leaders in the game. We've got to come up with ideas to get more people to play golf. And when you can go along and buy an encore ball, a lot cheaper than other balls, and it's as good as them, surely that must make a difference to your pocket. And to, you know, encourage young people to play. That's just one of the reasons, which is very, very important. We've got to make golf faster. We've got to make golf cheaper. And we've got to come up with programs for young people, incentivization. If you look at one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, in fact, a country that, you know, there's no greater fan of me than America. I think it's the greatest country that there ever existed. But I think the best-run country today in the world is probably Singapore. I mean, they are just so... For example, you, they had the, the, uh, the airplane pilots all wanting to go on strike. And Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew's son just went there and said, fine, you want to go on strike? Go on strike. We'll replace you. <laughs> For what we've built in this country, you know, we're not going to have you just dictate to us. But my point is that what he said, Lee Kuan Yew, was incentivization is important. If you have an employee in your company... You've got to incentivize them, and that's important. So what we've got to do with young people is have some kind of a system where we can incentivize these young people to play golf because cycling and all other sports are really hurting golf. So we really got to come up with good ideas 
And one of the things that I think we should be doing, and I've said this regularly, you know, every state has playing professionals on the tour. We should have our commissioner, in my opinion, getting two of these guys in each state that they live in. You might not get every single state, but two of them should go to two schools every year, hit some balls on the football field, let the kids try and hit it, because that's how I got started. Once I had a club in my hand and I hit that ball and I had the joy of it, I was hooked. So we need all people to write in. I think we should have people writing in what we should do to get young people to play golf. So a golf ball is a, is a great start. Well said. Um, you're, you're definitely right, Gary. And I think we have to do what we can to, you know, like we talked about last week, is, is to really get the kids involved at a very young age. And even though I know there's a lot of great junior programs out there, not everybody is slated to be, um, you know, the next Gary player or the next, um, you know, Arnold Palmer or even Tiger Woods. So we've got to make it affordable and accessible for everybody. Cindy, go ahead. I know you've got some questions for, for both of them. My first question is for Gary, and I want to know your why. Why have you been driven? Why did you love golf? And why do you do what you do? Well, first of all, uh, Cindy, let me just say it's a pleasure to speak to a lady professional because in our charity events around the world, which take place in in China, <clears throat> they take place in uh, America, in South Africa, in Abu Dhabi, uh, in Japan. One of the things we've tried to do, which we did before anybody else did, and that was to include women professional as many as men. And this is something, speaking to you as a lady professional who's done so much for golf, is to get young girls to play golf keeps them off the street, and it gives them something to do. I mean, today, young people, if you go to the colleges in this great country, 90% of the college students either drink, smoke, or some of them even on weed. And we've got to get them where their minds are occupied. And golf is the greatest sport in the world to get people away from those particular problems because it's a difficult game and you can play it forever and it's a great challenge. What got me interested in golf is that I was a four-letter man at college and my, <clears throat> my father said to me one day, he was a miner, had no money, made 100 pounds a month, worked 8,000 feet under the ground. My mother died when I was nine. My brother went to war uh, and my brother-in-law to fight for freedom and join the Americans in the war. At 17 years of age, my brother came back. My future brother-in-law died, which was very, very sad, fighting for freedom. Now, the thing is this, that when my dad said, come and play golf, I, I said, no, it's a sissy's game. And I went out and played, and Cindy, thank God, what a sport. The friends that I've made, it's enabled me to travel more miles than any human being ever. I've won 165 tournaments. You know, when you win one tournament, it's important. Well, you notice that Ted cut me by eight this morning. But anyway, that doesn't matter. We come back to his memory. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing is that it got me playing golf, and thank goodness, it's the friends that I've made. Dined with the presidents of America, almost everyone, or played golf or visited the, the White House. 
royal family, emirs in the Middle East, top businessmen, but in the poor villages of Africa and India, where I learnt as much as the higher echelon, just being with them and learning about the humility and their appreciation and their gratitude in life, of which they had nothing. And yet you find people with everything that are not happy. And as we said this morning, happiness is a choice. Golf, for me, I'm so thankful and grateful what it's done for me to have won all these tournaments. It's a blessing. It's a divine gift. Somebody as small as myself having to travel over here and play against guys that live here. And I was traveling over with no jets, no jets, 40 hours in a plane, stopping four times, five and six children. You know how tough that was? But what an experience for me. And I'm so thankful for that and, f and so thankful for America. You know, I hear some, some politicians, uh, I hear them often say, that America's yeah. got this fault and that fault. Sure, America's got fault. But let me tell you something. If you live in this country, wake up every day and kiss the ground. You don't know how lucky you are and particularly to have. And that's what I love about Donald Trump. He's a great man for freedom. He's a great man for non-socialistic state. I've traveled and seen all these countries that are socialist. Their countries have finished, most of them. It is a tragedy to see what happens. And I see people wanting to, their theme is to have a socialist country if they win elections. My goodness me, I just, I wish the young people of America who are so naive about world affairs, I just wish they could travel around the world and see these socialist countries. They would sure change their mind very, very quickly. And they're very easy to influence because they don't know much about overseas and international matters. So golf is a sport that lasts forever. Uh, why I play it? Because I love it. You know, Arnold Palmer loved golf. Lee Trevino loves golf. I love golf. Jack Nicklaus, he likes golf, but he doesn't love it to the extent that we did. I try and play every day of my life right now at 84. I still average on a normal golf course 72. I've beaten my age over 2,000 times in a row. I'm dying to be the first person to ever beat his age by 18 shots in a round. I've done it by 16 shots, and I bogey two holes that day. But if I live long enough and stay healthy, I'll do it. And But the other thing is it happens, which is happening uh, to uh, to Ted right now. When we get older, we play, and you can't remember the score. <laughs> you know, they had I'm a super, super senior score. You know that, Ted. They started a super, yeah, super senior tour. You only played three holes, and whoever remembered the score won. How <laughs> <laughs> well, we got that look forward to? <laughs> Ted, yeah. please, Ted, please don't ever enter that tournament. <laughs> I was, I was just about to say, I, I don't know if I would remember where to go. Um, yeah, that's. that's <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for that, Mr. Player. I appreciate it. Cindy, go ahead. I know you've got a question for Steve as well. Steve, tell us about the new elixir ball. What's going on? So, the the new tour ball that's in the works is a four piece um, 
urethane ball. It's got a slightly thinner cover than the Elixir. Um, so you're going to get a little more traction around the greens. Um, we've been able to um, load more particles in the mantle and give it more perimeter weighting. Um, so the performance is even better. Um, and yeah, the, the testing, the independent testing on it has been phenomenal. Um, and one of, one of the sleeves um, we're going to have be a special color um, and, and kind of do a limited edition run on it um, in a little over a month when we launch it. Um, Steve, let me ask you just a follow-up on that. Yeah, let me ask you a follow-up on that. So what, what primarily is the difference? What, what, what are people going to notice from your, the, the current ball that you, you have um, compared to the Elixir? I mean, you mentioned that the cover is going to be a little bit thinner than that, but is there going to be a difference in feel uh, or overall performance? You know, it, it's it's going to be a tad firmer, um, but you know the um, in terms of the average person, um, you know, it, it might be hard to discern that. I think you know the biggest thing will be around the greens with that thinner layer. Um, you're going to basically be able to pinch the ball um, a little bit more and it's going to give you a little bit more action. Um, but, um, but yeah, a little, a little lower spinning um, and, and higher launching than, than the Elixir, which is um, the Elixir launches a little lower off the driver. So this, this will still maintain that low spin, but it's going to launch a little higher, which, which is really um, interesting. Hmm. Very good. Um, Gary, let me ask you something just on the theme of the golf ball. You, you, you talked about some of the points earlier um, that you really liked about Encore ball. When you played a variety, obviously, of different golf balls over the years, did you prefer playing a ball that had more spin or less spin? And if so, why? <clears throat> well, that's a, always a hard, a hard question uh, to answer. Uh, if you're playing on a Lynx golf course, on a Lynx golf course, you must remember the greens are always firmer and the wind is always blowing. And so you play different kinds of shots. You know, they have an old saying, it's horses for courses. And so the nice thing today, you have a choice. When you use a ball, you can play one. If it's the, you, you, Before you tee off that day, you can say, is it windy? Are the greens firm? Are the greens soft? And you can choose as your ball that you like. Whereas when we played, mm -hmm. when I played my first tournament, the first British Open in 1955, the Dunlop man came onto the tee and said, here are your three balls for the week. <laughs> Which is, it's, you know, now they say they, they give you three dozen. They give you three dozen. And they want you to, you know, obviously you've got to be, you know, if you represent a company, you've got to be a good PR man. So you, you give it to your program partners to try. Because once a person tries the ball, you've got them hooked, you know, particularly if it's a, if it's a good ball. And so uh, I think when you're playing a Lynx golf course, I don't want a lot of spin because I'm playing a completely different shot. I'm hitting that little ball and I'm running. I'm always keeping it low to make the dough. When you hit it high, it makes you cry. 
because the wind blows so hard over there that the birds have to walk. So you have to keep the ball low. Now, when you come to America, you're playing a different kind of golf course that is soft. So now you want that spin. You want to spin because particularly you find yourself playing, you know, out of a little short rough around the greens here, which is a different. American golf is very different to uh, other countries when they play golf. South African golf is very similar to America. But when you go to Scotland and Ireland, it's a different game of golf. That's why you find a lot of players are champions in America, but they're not champions outside of America. The real superstars are, but it makes a very big difference when you play in somebody else's country. You cannot read the editorials. You don't understand the language. You don't like the food, maybe. It's, and you don't have uh, people to have a shoulder to cry on if you play badly. So it's a, it's a different test. And it comes back to the mind and putting. But my point is, when you play and you love the game of golf, you've got to be able to be a great maneuverer of the ball. You can't be a one-dimension a one golfer. And so today, you have that choice of what ball you can use for that particular round. Can you imagine Bobby Jones, who I think has a better swing than anybody other than McElroy, Bobby Jones theoretically... If I was a young guy playing golf today, I'd get a film of Bobby Jones and I'd copy his swing to a tee. Now, there are a lot of professional golfers. Teachers today would teach not to do it. But for longevity, you have to have a Bobby Jones type of swing. He might be the best player that ever lived. They left the pin in the same place all four days when he played. They didn't have mowers to cut the green like a snooker table. They didn't have a machine to rake a bunker the same depth all around the world in Timbuktu, America, or South Africa. So every bunker is the same. They had no rakes. You raked with your feet. There were spike marks on the green. Today you can knock the spike marks down. You've got a jet to travel with. They went by car. I mean, this guy might be the greatest. And you think of the scores he did, and he won the Grand Slam? My goodness mm -hmm. me. And he was an amateur. And he was the best well-spoken golf player that ever participated. He dressed immaculately. He shaved every day. He had a command of the English language that was beyond one's comprehension. So it's very interesting to go back into history. And a lot of young guys today don't know too much about some of those guys that played. I played against them. I even played against Tommy Armour and Gene Sarazen. Played with them. Remarkable golfers. One golfer said to me the other day, he said to me, he said, you know, when we win a tournament, we've got to beat, you know, 80, 90 guys. I said, that's right. He said, you know, when you won all your majors and your tournaments, you only had about 25 guys to win. So I came back here now and with this uh, uh, shutdown, I sat down and I wrote against the names that I played against. We got 75 guys there that could really, really play. I can't wait to see this guy to show him these names in black and white. And there must have been 50 of them that won major championships. There's certainly not 50 guys playing the tour today that have won major championships. Yeah. So, you know, people are naive and they're quick to give an opinion when they know a lot about nothing. I can't. I couldn't agree more. Cindy, I forgot the next question I was going to ask, so I'm going to put it back to you. <laughs> Cindy, oh, you, hell, you better Fred? take I over, Cindy. 
Jesus. I'm going to have to get a new co-host. And I'm older than you. What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'll tell you what. We've woken ahead, up sweetheart. your listeners this morning with a different kind of show, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we really have. Your audience has so just Steve, improved. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> but I'm firing the guy Go who ahead, runs man. the show. Remember what we said about training your husband? You have to train this guy too. Anyway. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Steve, I'm gonna ask you another question in a minute, but here's here's I've got something that Gary can go off on a tangent on, which I'm looking forward to. What do you, again, I'm old too, but I'm not as old as you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Well, yeah, I hope I make it as far as you. Anyway, so let me ask this question because I find, and you mentioned about teaching kids, and and Alan and I teach lots of kids. We we do a boot camp every year. We take all of our best players to Florida, and and we inspire and challenge them to get better. So I'm all in. I've got a not-profit foundation that I help kids, so... Anyway, that being said, I believe it is so sad that most of these kids don't really care about the history of the game. And when Mm. I stop and think about the fact that, you know, I used to, when I first qualified to play on the LPGA Tour, I picked up the phone and I called Bob Rich Sr., who owns Rich Non-Dairy Creamer, and I said, you know, my name is Cindy Miller. I live in Silver Creek. I'm kind of a hick, and I just qualified to play on the tour. I'd like to be able to practice at your golf course in Florida. And he goes, well, I have to ask Joanne Carner if she cares. And I'm like, why would she care? I'm like a peon. So, of course, she didn't care. And she took me under her wing and she helped me. And she actually came to our wedding in Silver Creek, New York. I mean, I used to sit and talk to Patty Berg and Kathy Whitworth and, and, and just admire these people. And when I was trying to get better, I get done playing in a tournament, and I go out and watch the leaders play just to see what are they doing that I'm not doing. Yes. And I feel like some of these kids just aren't hungry, <laughs> they don't care, and they they aren't open to being teachable. So, and I yeah. think that's so sad. So, tell me what you think. You know, it's a very difficult thing, and I think one has got to, unfortunately. Uh, it's hard to fight the times at present. Uh, if you look at, if you look at, uh, you know, we have six children, two great grandchildren, and twenty-two grandchildren, and it's 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 really uh, it's quite a challenge. Uh, you know, manners maketh a man, as Winston Churchill said. But today, you tell one of your grandchildren, look, uh, you've got to go to bed, uh, put the TV off. Oh, gee, just another 30 minutes. And the one thing you've got to do as families, you've got to, I would say that 40% of families' children teach, tell their parents what to do, really. I mean, this is a, this is a known statistic. Now, the thing is this, you've got to be able to say, you go to bed now, you go to bed. You stand up when a lady comes in the room, you stand up. You know, if you don't, if you don't listen, well, you give them less pocket money. You've got to, you've got to have some kind of discipline. There's no business, as, 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 as Steve will tell you, the only reason that he's been successful in life, he studied and he had to have discipline and stay up late at night to actually be successful. And I'll tell you one of the greatest sayings ever 
are all young boys, well, many of them come to me and young girls say, how do you become a world champion? Well, how do you answer that, Cindy? I mean, it's, if there's no remedy, but I tell them one thing. I said, I'll tell you one of the reasons I became a world champion is because of a Winston Churchill saying. He was the greatest leader I think the world might have ever had. When they're bombing your homes and your cities and, and you, it's, you know, the Germans are going to win the war and thank God Roosevelt comes into the war. But he said, and this, listen carefully, the height that great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but while his opponents were sleeping, he was toiling upward in the night. And so, in other words, you've got to outwork him. And Ben Hogan, who is the greatest striker of a ball that I ever saw in my life, said, if you can't beat him, outwork him. And this is something that is very hard to instill in young people today because they live in this land of milk and honey, and they seem to get away with anything they want to do. They come to a table with cell phones. They, what is that? Entitlement. entitlement. My wife is just saying they have an entitlement, and nobody's entitled to a damn thing. Now, mm -hmm. if you go to China or you go to India or, or South Africa, look at South Africa. A small country has won 23 major championships, beaten more than any country in the world other than America post-war. And the thing is that you've got to get up and you've got to work, whether it's golf, whether it's business, whether it's studying, whether it's manners. And the parents have got to be tough. And America, to maintain the number one position in the world, has got to have kids that come up with discipline because the world are trying to beat you. You've got a lot of enemies. And so these young people of America, the youth of a nation, are the trustees of posterity. They've got to work. They've got to appreciate this great country. They've got to be told how lucky they are to live here. They don't realize this. And this is where parental guidance comes into the whole thing. So it's from the parents that all these things happen. And you, you're right. I went to do a, a talk at a, uh, a, a college the other day, well, a, a year ago in Philadelphia. And the coach said to me as I arrived there, and he says, look, <clears throat> I want you to give were about 40 of them. I want you to give him a razzing because, you know, if I say anything, the dean's on me or the parents come back. So I said, leave it to me. And I said, good morning, guys and girls. I said, I'm so happy to be here today. I'm here yet because I love you and I want to help you. And I said, who wants to be a professional golfer? And they all put their hands up. And I said, you little pigs, you got no chance. <laughs> And their eyes opened like a saucer. <laughs> and I saw this big smile on the coach's face. And I, they said, why not, Mr. Player? I said, because when you're sleeping at 7 o'clock and 6.30 in the morning and your mommy brings you breakfast ready to go before you go to school and your daddy takes you in his car and you've got a blanket and you've got TV and you've got three meals a day and you've got lots of clothes and everything in a roof on your house, and you have a house. I said, damn it. I gave him such a shock. I said, damn it. Most children in the world don't have one of those. So when you're sleeping in the morning, they were already practiced. When you get up, they've already practiced. When you're sleeping, they've already practiced for an hour. And so it comes back to Churchill's saying. It comes back to Hogan's saying. You can't live. It's very hard to have this entitlement 
and to work hard, but you do have the exceptions that come along. But look at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, look how he worked. Look how he, look how he works today. He's up at 4 o'clock in the morning exercising. Look at Ben Hogan, how he traveled by car. He out-practiced everybody. You know, you've got to look at, look at a man like Oral Palmer. He didn't have a spoon in his mouth. He worked like crazy. I mean, you just got to look at the people that become champions. Look at Rory McIlroy. He's in the gym building his body. So, you know, building this strong body. Kepka in there, building that body with the weights. When I started weights in 1953 with a man called Frank Stratton, they called me a nut. They said, this guy's crazy. You can't use weights and play golf. Kepka does 17 bench presses of 250 pounds before he plays. You know, we know a hell of a lot about nothing. And they all, when Rory started playing badly and Tiger played badly, they said, oh, because they were using weights. they muscle-bound. There's no such thing as muscle-bound. You're either stiff when you start or you're supple when you start. And just to put my point right, if you look at these world long-hitting champions, they come out, they're built like a weightlifter. You'd never think they could swing the club back at all. They get the club back beyond parallel on the top of the swing. They're so supple, it's unbelievable, and yet they're built like a, a professional weightlifter. So, I don't know. We've got to change our thinking because there's a lot of competition around the world now. And I don't know, if I was a school teacher, I would just tell these kids every day, let's keep America great. Let's keep America great. Because it is the greatest. But you've got to work at it. If you don't, people surpass you. That's right. Well said. Go ahead. Well, Cindy. amen. All right, Steve. What else can you tell us? <laughs> I want inside scoop. I'm, I'm getting uh, yeah. I'm getting fired up here from uh, Gary Player. I feel like I should be in the, the weight room here. <laughs> yeah, I've got my. I'm gonna get my lazy butt off this chair in a minute. <laughs> well, they say nope. they say it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get somebody to exercise every day, and that's so true. People don't care about their bodies. It's just the most important thing in your life. They worried about the stock market and uh, and sitting at the table, but they just don't worry about their bodies. It's quite sad. It's very true. It's very um, true. And I was only kidding about lazy. No one has ever accused me of that. <laughs> Steve, very give good. us some inside yeah. scoop. Sure. So um, one of the other things we're working on um, is with a company called Golf Boost. Um, and they've got some really interesting technology around artificial intelligence. Um, the the technology utilizes the smartphone and, and the video capabilities. Um, so you download the app and you take a video of your golf swing and the AI um, basically analyzes the swing and can deliver instant recommendations. Um, certainly wouldn't, wouldn't replace um, the expertise of, of a Cindy Miller or an Allen or, or a Gary Player, but, um, you know, it's, it's designed to provide, you know, insight and, and help, um, and it's, it's taking advantage of 
um, some new developments in, in artificial intelligence and obviously in all the, the micro microelectronics and, and cloud capabilities of, of modern day smartphones. Um, so that that's one initiative that um, within a few weeks should be should be ready to roll out. Um, and yeah, we we talked about the new Torball in the works, um, and you know Encore is still um, up and running and shipping golf balls over the internet. Um, and we've got some great deals going on now um, for um, golfers that are in states where where they can safely play, and it's um, you know advised by by their local uh, governments and authorities. So. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good things in the works, and um, just trying to, trying to stay healthy and 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 keep uh, keep Mr. Player happy there, and, and keep keep the weight off. <laughs> Very good. Good job. Well good said. job. You don't want to take yeah. him off. <laughs> but you know, it's it's um, interesting. It's interesting what Steve said there. It's. it's but there is a great motto in what Steve said. If you take this great country, obesity in America and South Africa, we're two of the highest countries of obesity because of our, our high style of living and the abundance of food, and thank God to the farmers. But obesity, diabetes is now, my one son, he's a type one. He's as strong as a lion but he's a type 1 diabetic. And let me tell you, I want to just tell the mothers or fathers that are listening to this show, make sure your children don't become obese and overweight because once your child gets diabetes, it's one of the worst things in the world with amputations, getting blind, heart attacks. And I want to tell you, my son has to take that insulin five times a day with this big needle it is a terrible disease. Get the children to exercise. Make them. Give them an incentive. Don't give them pocket money. Don't give them these little extra things unless they perform. we got a grandson here. He's a little overweight, and now he wants to watch this particular game show on television. Now, his father said, you may not watch that game show unless you do 10,000 steps a day. Well, he wants to do that so badly that he's on that treadmill every single day. Here was a guy that was not even interested and wouldn't go near it. He's on that treadmill every day because, what I said earlier, he's incentivized. So this is what we've got to get done. The, as I come back to it, the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. We've got to get the young people of this country. The schools are shocking. They're taking, they take uh, exercise out of the schools. That always amazes me how they take it out. They should be increasing it, not taking it out. When you arrive at school, the whole school should get a wrap. When you start school, they should walk around the school three or four times, depending on the size of the school. During a recession, they should get out and have to walk again. We've got to make children fit. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be, in my opinion, only my opinion, there'll be in, in time to come, I don't know how long, no healthcare systems, because people will be so sick with obesity and the way they lack of exercise, governments will not be able to afford it. So we've got to look into the future, and we've got to get schools to teach children. 
teach children, be fit, keep in shape. They don't ever, I've never heard of a school, I do a lot of talks at school. I've never heard of a, a school, when I was at school in South Africa, we had the best schools on the planet. There was a subject on nature, they called it nature, and they taught you what you should be eat and what you shouldn't eat and how you should exercise. And we had gym every day at school. So you've got to do that. You've got to instill this into the youth. I couldn't agree more. Um, very well said. Gary, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you um, uh, about is when we look at today's player, and I'm talking about amateur players, not professional players, um, and we talked about this last week a little bit on the show, um, the fact that handicaps are, are not coming down um, and haven't for, for many decades. What do you think is um, some of the issues that players are having today? Why are they not improving? They're getting some good instruction. They're, um, you know, they're playing on some world-class golf courses now, but they're still not, their handicaps still aren't budging. What do they need to do? And if you were teaching somebody today, how would you approach it to give them the best chance at, uh, at playing their best? I think, you know, like everything, we can always improve. I mean, you know, with E, with, you know, having won 18 major championships, I could give you a shock when I tell you, I only learned how to take the club back on the backswing at the age of 70. Now, I did it for, uh, when I was young, I was, and this is, I don't want to get complicated, but when I was young, I was so supple, I was able to do what I did at the latter part of my senior tour. At the latter part of my senior tour, I could not put the club in the right position at the top of the backswing because I, I did it automatically as a young man, but that automatic part did not transfer into when I was older. And I suddenly learned how to take the club back. And today, I always hooked the ball a little bit as a young man. I haven't hit a hook in years now. I've got an anti-hook swing. And Ben Hogan, when I played with him in 1957, he was a man who, if he said five words during a round of golf, he was talkative. But he, we were standing <laughs> at Seminole Golf Club, and we were held up. And he mentioned something about a backswing, and I, it was hieroglyphics. But he was such a, uh, a un an unusual man that you didn't say, well, I don't understand, because he wouldn't repeat it. He'd just say, well, you're a dumb SOB. So I didn't say a word. <laughs> and it suddenly occurred to me what he was saying when I got to 70. And, and now I put the club back, and it's contrary to what a lot of people believe in. So is the teaching, is the teaching with all our technology, if you look at some of the guys on the tour today, and I wouldn't like to mention names, but some of them, if they had to put the club back in the right position, they would change their whole game. They would change their whole game and improve even more. And we can always get better. Look at Tiger Woods. He had the most perfect golf swing. He wins the U.S. Open by 15 shots. Not five, 15. The next week he's having a lesson and changes his swing and he doesn't win a major for another 11 years, whatever it is. Whatever the years are, it's irrelevant. But he goes off. If Tiger Woods had never changed his swing, he would have won 20 majors on his ear. Easy. So there's the best in the world having been put off of his original genetical swing. 
the swing that suited him. Everybody has a swing that is indigenous to himself, and you've got to make slight changes to improve the people. But Tiger Woods went to extreme from one swing to another, and my goodness me, started sucking the club across the line, all stuff that is poison, and just went downhill. But he had so much talent, he could still win a few tournaments. But had he not done that, he would have won 20 or more or more. And so there are a lot of players today that are playing well and you don't hear them again. You think about it. Let's Mm -hmm. take Trevor Immelman. Trevor Immelman had one of the greatest swings I ever saw. All of a sudden, he wins the Masters. He doesn't win tournaments again. Ian Baker Finch, great swing. Doesn't win tournaments anymore. You can go down the lane. David DeVal, number one in the world. Didn't win tournaments in the world anymore. Even a man like Tom Watson... Who was now? Tom Watson was a superstar. Now I don't use, and I very seldom call anybody a superstar. He never won for ten years, but he had a certain problem, which he mentioned on television. Why he didn't? It wasn't the swing, because if anybody wants to copy a swing, copy Tom Watson. Tom Watson has the most perfect golf swing. Now, but it's amazing the teaching that certain people that have never been in the arena teach you certain things that are a bunch of hogwash. So when you're starting to have the right method taught to you, one of the reasons that I won 18 majors is because Ben Hogan mentioned something to me as a young man, which was the most prevalent thing in the swing, and that helped me to do it, even though in some stages of my life I went off with the backswing, which wasn't in the right position. Now I put it in the right position, and a lot of people would say it's not right, but I know it's right. And you, I make the right movement on the downswing. There's a backswing and a downswing. And you've got to have them both right if you want to have longevity. Longevity is an important thing. If you look, if you look, I'll give you quite a shock. If you look at Jack Nicklaus, he had longevity. Arnold Palmer didn't. Arnold Palmer was the most charismatic man that ever played golf. Arnold Palmer did more for golf than anybody. But he had a short career because he was shut-faced at the top. Jack Nicklaus won majors for 25 years. I won for 20. Arnold won for six. But if you spoke to the average man in the, in the public, he'd think Arnold won for 25 years because he was so charismatic. And God bless him. He deserves everything he ever got. He, was so, he had such patience with people. And he was a, the greatest man for golf that ever lived. Jack Nicklaus is the greatest golfer that ever lived and is the greatest gentleman I ever played with. And Tiger Woods, well, we still got to wait and see. He's still got time to go. And if he wins majors, it makes it all the more exciting for the game because when Tiger Woods, when he plays, he moves the needle. And I never thought, you know, everybody said, oh, I knew Tiger Woods would win these tournaments. At least I'm honest about it. I never thought he'd win another golf tournament, never mind a major. Back operations, knee operations, other problems he had. What a tough competitor he is. My word, to come back and win those tournaments and win Augusta, I'd take my hat off ten times to him, and we need him to keep winning. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Cindy, any final questions for for Steve or, or Gary? No, I'm filled up. I'm ready. I'm going out walking, and I'm going to lift my weight. Take that, bitches. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, well, Steve, um, I know that Encore has got a lot of exciting things, and and I know it's difficult right now with everything that's going on globally for for many many businesses. But it sounds like you guys have a, a winning formula, and I know that there's going to be some great things in the future. For those that want to get more information about Encore, what's the best way to, to do that? Uh, the best way would, would be our website. Um, no, no surprise there, and that's um, mm-hmm. EncoreGolf.com, O-N-C-O-R-E, golf.com. And um, we've, been, we've been very active on, across social media as well with um, you know, understanding that a lot of people are stuck at home and looking to work on their golf games in um, maybe different ways than, than they have in the past. So we're certainly active across all social media platforms and, and um, you can always, always reach us at our website as well. Appreciate it. But tell me something. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Ted, why don't you have uh, on your show, let people, whoever you have on the show, you know, people sit at home there and they're dying to have, they've got questions you should always have maybe five questions or three questions, whatever you could have time to do to have people to ask questions uh, to your, your guests on the show. We will work on that for, for sure. Um, I think that was something else I forgot, um, but I will definitely uh, make a point of that. And Gary, I just want to mention one last thing that I think would be um, important to, to bring up and give you a few moments to, to comment on. Um, recently, and as recent as March, um, you had received some news that you were going to be receiving, and obviously there was a delay because of what's going on. The Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, at the White House, that was to be done on March 23rd, that you were going to be receiving that medal from uh, our current president, Donald Trump. Um, why don't you just share a few thoughts of, of, uh, of that uh, honor? Well, first of all, you know, I've been lucky. I've been a pro nearly 70 years now. I've had a lot of incredible honors in my life. But this is the greatest honor ever bestowed upon me, and I really appreciate the American uh, government and Donald Trump for this award. I really do appreciate it because, for me, my golfing prowess is important. And that's what I've been given awards for. But I'd rather be known for a man who fought for freedom and for human rights. And I don't want to boast here, but I could give you a book on the things that I've tried to do in my career. I want to give you an example of, if we've got time, of one thing that sure. gave me incredible joy. Charlie Sifford was an African-American golfer. I arrived in America. He wasn't allowed to play on the tour. I went to bat for him. I went to his club up in Cleveland, and I made a great friend of his. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame from a man who wasn't allowed to play the tour, now is inducted into the Hall of Fame, he also got the Medal of Freedom. But anyway, he went through living hell. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he asked a South African, a white South African, to induct him into the Hall of Fame. What an honor. What an honor. And now for me to be, to be given the Medal of Freedom, who I battled for people around the world and for human rights and raised a fortune to change people's lives. For the president to, to recognize that is something that I'll be indebted for the rest of my life. I will never forget that because I just idolize this country. I idolize freedom 
and freedom is dying around the world. I don't think that 40% of the world has freedom anymore. Think about that. The thing that people died for, it wasn't luck that we got freedom. We had to fight for it and die for it. And, and yeah. freedom is not luck. Luck is the residue of design. And so for me to get this award, my goodness me, all I can say is, you know, thank you is a small word. But to be honored by this country, by the strongest man and the leader of the world, is some special honor. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, um, Gary, for all that you have done and continue to do globally, not only for golf, but outside of golf as well. Um, Steve, we, we want to thank you as well for, for joining us this morning and uh, keep up the great work at Encore. We know you've got a lot of exciting things happening and, and we'll be continuing to unpack them as, uh, as things uh, progress. But we want to thank you as well uh, for joining us this morning. And of course, um, Gary, we want to thank you for taking uh, time uh, to, to come and share uh, some great stories and some great uh, history uh, with our audience as well. And you're welcome to come back anytime, both of you. Thanks, and Steve, thank take you. care, and Cindy, all the best to you, love. Thank you. Yeah. God bless. Bye. Bye. All right. Take Bye-bye. care, everyone. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Steve Colton from Encore Golf, the VP of Sales and one of the co-founders, and, of course, the legendary Mr. Gary Player. Um, certainly a lot of interesting stories, Cindy, and uh, I know, you know, he's uh, – Gary is certainly a joy to, to listen to, but uh, just a wealth of knowledge, and he speaks uh, a lot of truth. But we want to thank everybody for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we had a, a little bit of delay in, in um, our show this, um, uh, this week, uh, but we'll be back to our regular schedule uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, next week, but we made some adjustments to accommodate our guests. So we want to thank everybody. On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. We hope you enjoyed it. Take care. God bless. And we'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.